what kind of people does our world need? Now, when I ask that question, often we think about our own country, America, but to think only in terms of us is very selfish. Think about our world. There's so much chaos and evil that exists when you read what's going on, whether on the internet or on the news. Jeremiah 17, 9, and again, the context is that Jerusalem's destroyed. It's laid in devastation by another empire, and they took their best people with them and enslaved them. Here's what Jeremiah said about the chaos that existed. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, in the beginning, God created, and he created order out of chaos. Then we humans come along and we create disorder out of order. It's called sin. And it's why church. See, we are called to restore the order of God. And, and how do we do that? It's through the transformation of the heart that's exposed in our lives. And that's why the greatest command we find in the New Testament is not to know God, but to love God. Now, it tells us something about knowing. We cannot love something that we do not have the truth about, but that's a, another sermon. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love ourselves. And what that really tells us is that we can't get the horizontal relationships right if we do not understand and have the vertical relationship right. And in that, definitions are important, and words are important. Take the word love. I mean, culturally, we think of love in terms of feelings, sensuality, sentimentality. Love is something that happens to us. We have no say. And love is disconnected from our will and truth. It just kind of is there. But love, according to God's word, is an intentional choice. It's radical. We are free to love people who hate us. We are free to give hope to people who wound us. But often because we adopt a cultural view of love and we put religious clothing on it, we too struggle with codependency where we make it about us. And we struggle with relationships, period, don't we? We divorce ourselves from people, marriages, we divorce each other, friendships, we divorce each other. Even on Facebook, there is this little tab you can hit, unfriend. And we use our words, and we take little snipes at each other. When I was in college, one of the loops I would run took me past this farm. And this farm had little dogs. They were called chihuahuas. Now, personally, I think anything that small should not be a call, but they had five chihuahuas. They would see me coming, and they would start barking, and they'd start yipping. And when I got close enough to the farm, they'd run out and they would bite at my ankles. Now I would flip them back in the yard with my foot, kind of punt them back and they'd hit the ground and they'd go at it again until I was beyond a certain part of their farm and they'd stop. Now as I listen to people speak today, here's what I observed. We've gone from taking little nips to full-grown pit bull bites the pit bulls that are trained to fight, and we attack each other. And we don't listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. He says, be careful you do not devour each other. 
So let's hear God's word. John chapter 13. John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And again, we have to go back to definitions. A cultural version of this, or a biblical one. In John 17, then, he writes this. I've given them your word, and the, word has hate, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And it just shows there's going to be this conflict set up between us and the cultural versions and definitions of word like love. But we're going to love well. John tells us we have to love God's truth. Flannery O'Connor says this, truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. But let me read on in John chapter 17, and this is what loving truth leads to. In verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So two times in Scripture, we've read them this morning, that the world identifies Christ as Savior, God as Father, when we do two things well, love and we are in unity. The glory that you've given me, I've given them. Imagine that. God gave us his glory to shine that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, he says this again, that you, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Let's go back to the early church for a moment. They tell us according to history from the year 100 A.D. to 400 A.D., the church grew about 30% a year. And so the question is, how'd they do that? Now, according to the documents we have, there was no evangelism training, no evangelism courses. There was no concerted effort to win Rome. There was no crusades. We know there was no blog, TV preachers, book seminars. But what we do know is that it was a tough time for Christians. The stories and instructions, heavy persecution and one of the key emphases that was given to these people in word and writing was they were called to be patient. They were called to love, be patient in love where they were. So along came some serious plagues. The plague of Antonine in second century, it killed off 25% of the people of Rome. The plague of Cyprinian, they think it was probably Ebola from the year 249 to 262. An average of 5,000 people died every day. Now that was 13 years. Most of us are tired after how many months 
of hearing about COVID-19. But during this time, being patient in love meant they were called to take care of the living and be patient and show love. While most people ran away to safety, they entered into the care of what we would call the dying. In 1527, the bubonic plague in Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther refused to flee the city and protect himself. He stayed to minister to the sick. And here's a quote from Martin Luther. We die at our posts. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. The price he paid was his daughter Elizabeth, who died as an infant, eight months old. So our pandemic, COVID-19, no matter what your opinion, it is impacting us. And the current disorder we see in our nation on multiple levels with racism, opinions flourished. And while we have opinions, we're not called to have an opinion. We are called to action. Now, if you haven't noticed the last few weeks in Colossians, we've been talking about, and the theme has been about our speech, about our words. It started out by talking about prayer, our words speaking to God. Then it moved to proclaiming truth, speaking truth to one another. Then it talked about sharing Christ, speaking truth to people outside of the church. And this week, we're going to talk about how we speak to each other, how we share our burdens. But here's the point I want to make. If we're ever going to get it right out there in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the disorder, we must first get it right in here, in the body of Christ. And I have witnessed through the years Christians getting offended over things that make no sense. Christians who used to be friends, they hold grudges. I knew one couple, they held grudges for 35 years. Some don't talk to each other anymore. I've seen Christians in their anger call each other names, just like the world does. I've seen Christians divide over opinions, preferences, politics, and comforts. I've heard Christians call each other worthless, useless. And then they sanctimoniously pat themselves on the back because of how they love someone out there. And they don't and can't even love someone in here. So we've been going through the book of Colossians. We're kind of coming to the end. And we're at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. So you can turn there with me or follow on the screen. But let's hear God's word. Paul writes, Tychus will tell you all about my activities. This is what he's going to speak. He's a beloved brother. Paul speaks this about him and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So Paul sends out two brothers, Tychus and Onesimus. And there's two things they're going to share. One is about his situation and to encourage them but he also encourages both Tychus and Onesimus in their situations. And of course, we share stories, don't we? And we encourage each other in those stories 
but it's messy. So Tychus, Paul says three things. And it's a great example of how we should be with each other. He said he's a loved brother or a brother who loves. He's dependable. He's a faithful minister. And he walked, worked with Paul, a fellow servant. And the key phrase there is, in the Lord. And Paul sent him to other places. In Titus chapter 3, he sent him to Crete. In 2 Timothy 4, he sent him to Ephesus. Then there's Onesimus. And he says he's one of you. When Paul found him, he was a runaway slave. He was a piece of property. And evidently, Onesimus came to know Christ through Paul. You can read the book of Philemon. And he sends him back to his master with two instructions. One is to receive him. And the word receive there literally means treat as an equal. And to forgive him. And then Paul says this. Listen. If he owes you anything, I will take care of it when I'm out of prison. So Paul steps in with his generosity. So take these six observations and relate them today to how we speak about and with each other. Love. I mean, love needs to be wed to the truth. And, and are we speaking loving truth to each other? The truth is we're loved by God through Christ and this love costs something. And when we fully realize this, we understand how little we deserve it. And this love's not forced on us. We're given a choice. And we're called to love then as we have been loved. And Christ gives us his spirit and his word so that we can love as he loves us. And how well we do this, it's evidence to a world about who Christ is. And our relationships, how well we do it with each other, is an evidence and it points people to Christ. It doesn't point people to us, it points people to Christ. So, when people observe you, when they observe your married, when they observe your parents or grandparenting skills, when they observe your kids and other Christians, when they observe how you relate to people outside of the church, do they see this radical love of God or do they see a typical cultural version of love dressed up in religious clothing? I mean, the second is not going to give them the hope they need in the midst of this chaos. The second quality, faithfulness. How dependable are we? Most of us are dependable when it doesn't cost us anything. But Paul says we need to be consistent, reliable, faithful, regardless of our circumstances and where God sends us. Serving. I've had the privilege down through the years to see and know what goes on behind the scenes, unnoticed or unassumed. And I've noticed two kinds of serving. There are people who serve and they do it without condition. They just serve. Whatever needs to be done, they do it. Then there's other people that do it with conditions. Well, that's not my job. I shouldn't have to do that, or I'm not paid to do that. Serving is a response to understanding what Christ has done for us. How well do we receive people? Now again, receive is an interesting word. I know we think it means cultural definition, to be polite, friendly, smile, and say hi. The word here is more of a personal engagement. It means to get to know their story. It means getting involved in their story, treating them as someone with value. And again, I realize this definition limits the amount of people we can receive. 
And that's why our unity is critical because it takes everyone to receive because each of us can only receive so many people. How well do we forgive? That's critical in terms of love and unity. The truth is, unless we practice this, and again, times, it's on a daily basis, we will never love the way we should. We'll live with wounded hearts instead of healed ones. Now, part of our problem is we take a cultural view of forgiveness and not a biblical one. And like most things, we reduce it to our emotional state of being and not choices we make. And again, so often, we make it all about us. How generous are we? You know, Paul's generosity extended even while he was in prison. Now let me talk about two situations about generosity at GBC. It was about a month ago I said something about the CARE Fund. And your response has been overwhelming. In fact, we're getting far more money in for the CARE Fund than when we took a monthly offering here at GBC when it was live. Your support for operational expenses has been encouraging. And going into the summer months so far, it's been strong. And personally, I would love for us to sustain our giving at the same level throughout the summer. In my 42 years of ministry, summer always somehow lowers what people give. So my challenge to you is keep it up. Let's sustain this right through to the fall. Now the second situation I want to talk about during this COVID crisis was the CARES Act given by the government. I know some people have been asking me whether or not we accepted monies for salaries and things like that. Did we apply so we can sustain staff for several months? And the Leadership Council had a very large discussion around this. and We formed kind of a, a parameter around that, talking about the biblical, the legal, the moral, and the ethical mindset. And without getting into a lot of details about the conversation, it would take too long and I probably would misrepresent some of the ideas. We decided not to apply due to the current level of your generosity. We felt it was unethical to take something that we did not need. Now, there was other reasons for that as well. So let me go back to this question. What kind of people does our world need? When you look at these qualities, we need people who love well. And again, we're talking about God's way, not the cultural definition. We need people who are faithful regardless of circumstances. We need people who are willing to serve, again, unconditionally. We need people who receive people, enter into their chaos, their messy stories. We need people who are willing to forgive. We are in need people who are willing to be generous. But when you look at these six qualities, it really addresses true problems we often have. The first is trust in God's view. We struggle with this. We like to know. And we like to think we know. And we find evidence to support our narratives about life. I mean, I want you to think about it this way when we talk about trust. Let's say you're going into a new area. What would you prefer? An area topographical map that kind of pointed out the hills and the mountains and the town and where everything was? Or a local resident that knows the area inside and out? Think about it this way. We have a creator 
of this world and of the one to come. And he shows us around in his time. But we are not a patient people, are we? Realize that we cannot be faithful without trust. Truth is, we trust in our plans far more than his plans. So one of the things that we struggle with is trust in God's view and God's plan and God's timing and all these things because we are very impatient people. The second thing we struggle with living in the midst of chaos. Chaos means there's going to be difficulties and suffering. And if we realize the love of God and the depth of our sin, if we realize and allow that to break us, there's going to be a heaviness. And we will look at chaos very differently than the world looks at chaos. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter writes these words, In this you rejoice. And again, we struggle with the word rejoice in the midst of suffering. But he says, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The word grieved there, the definition, um, speaks to the depth of pain that is so severe and so intense that when you go to sleep at night, you can't get it out of your mind. It just occupies everything that you're thinking and feeling. It's overwhelming. Now, Ezekiel, and I like what Ezekiel says here in chapter 11, verse 19. In fact, he says it two times. He says, listen, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So living in the midst of chaos, when God gives us a heart of flesh, what happens? We intuitively feel the depth of the brokenness that's happening around us. We intuitively feel the depth of the false narratives that are running rampant in our culture. And yet, Peter says, we're supposed to rejoice. And again, we struggle with this because our cultural definition of rejoicing is primarily emotional. And so we have guilt over this because somehow we think we shouldn't be feeling the pain and the death that we feel. There's an old revivalist hymn, and I was reading about this, and there's one author that claims these hymns to be what he calls B-pop hymns because they use a lot of 8th and 16th notes. And so they're upbeat and they're kind of going through and you know this hymn, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. That last phrase has caused a lot of guilt in people. Because people think we should emotionally be all smiles. And we fail to see Job sitting in the ashes, tearing his clothes, shaving his head. And yet we have this phrase there, in all this Job did not sin with his lips. So what I'm trying to say is this. As we see and experience evil, has as God has not taken us out of this world, but has put us in this world. As he said, listen, 
the world's definitions, it's going to be counterintuitive to my definitions. They will hate you for the way that you choose to love. They will despise you for the way that you choose to be unified. It will tear at your heart. There will be this grieving. And yet I want you to rejoice in the midst of this grief. Because we serve one king. His name's Jesus. So there needs to be this balance. This balance of sadness and joy, of grief and hope. And think of it this way. All of us have something called a thermostat in our houses. And if it gets colder outside, what happens? The inside thermostat tells us, tells the heat to kick in. And that's the balance so that we can live well. The hotter it gets outside, the thermostat tells it to cool down. We are called to live in this world. And we're called to live in this world with a heart of flesh given to us by God. We are called to be lights in the midst of our chaos. We are called to live a radical love that gives hope to a world desperately seeking both. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, appreciate your grace. Again, forgive us for so often we look at our world and rather than trusting you and doing what we're called to do and be, to live in the midst of the chaos, to shine the love and hope, we kind of opt for cultural versions and narratives of what should and shouldn't be. I pray that you give us minds that see the truth. I pray that you give us hearts that live that truth. I pray that we adopt the kind of love that just in the face of enemies shines so bright that Christ can see and people can see Christ through us. I mean, lately, Lord, we look around and we say, man, we are just really messed up. So I pray for us as individuals, but also for us as a church, Lord, that, that we become whatever we need to become in your name so that people's hearts can be transformed so that we can bring order out of chaos, but only through your spirit and through your word. Maybe just more than pray for these circumstances, but as we get involved, as we get accused of many different things, may we just simply be Christ. Every day, in every situation, with everybody we encounter, we pray these things in your name. Amen.